That's right, this is Cosmic Dragon, episode 17. I'm Sean Grigsby, and I am an author of science fiction and fantasy, also known as SFF, or Skiffy and Fanti. By the way, if you love podcasts about this kind of stuff, I highly recommend the Skiffy and Fanti podcast. But today, on Cosmic Dragon, for episode 17, we are going to be discussing things with C.T. Phipps, who writes a lot. A lot. I'm excited to hear what books uh, specifically we're going to be talking about. Maybe all of them. I got time. Fuck the laundry. I don't, I don't want to mess with that. Anyway, before we get into the interview, I want to talk to you about some stuff that uh, I've been doing. What am I reading? I'm reading R.J. Barker's Age of Assassins, uh, or as he would call it, Age of Assassins, which sounds pretty similar uh, to me. And it's good. I interviewed him. I want to say back uh, during the summer, and uh, I talked to him online and stuff, but I'm finally getting around to reading his book. Highly recommend it. Also, I just got Ash Kicker's editorial notes today, so I'm going to be jumping in and turning that in as soon as possible, and it is the sequel to Smoke Eaters, and if you don't know what Smoke Eaters is, it's Firefighters versus Dragons in the Future. Uh, I am myself a professional firefighter, but I don't know shit about dragons, so I made it up. Secondly, Daughters of Forgotten Light is also out. It came out September 4th. That is about motorcycle girl gangs in space. If you like violent, pulpy, grindhouse, exploitation, Tarantino, planet terror, Robert Rodriguez type stuff, this is the book for you. But what do you say we jump into our interview for episode 17 with C.T. Phipps? Hit it! And this is episode 17. We're here with C.T. Phipps, also known as Charles Phipps, but he writes under that name. Uh, Charles, C.T., welcome. Hey, glad to be here. So the first question I want to ask and this has nothing to do with providing information to my listeners. This is just my personal question. Uh, you are a full-time writer. Like, you're yes. doing it. This is your job. So oh, my yeah. question is, how the hell did you manage that? Because I'm sitting here like, when can I retire from the fire department and just jump into books? <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason that uh, there's an old joke that exists, and I think it applies to both acting and writing and pretty much any kind of artistic expression. What's the difference between a writer and a pizza? A pizza can feed a family of three. <laughs> That's a good uh, one. I haven't heard that one before. Oh, yeah. But uh, the answer to the question is uh, partially it's dumb luck, but uh, writing is a marathon, not a sprint. You have to set yourself out to creating your book, and uh, once you do it, you have to build the audience, and you have to uh, go from there and, and uh, so on. And while it's good to uh, be with a traditional publisher – even they uh, can't guarantee you the kind of consistent success you uh, may want. Really, it's something you have to first do for the love and consider as a supplementary income and uh, work hard on uh, you making advantage of social media, trends in writing, and, well, first, most of all, writing the book you want to and letting your audience find you. So there is an element of, lu of luck there, but... It's just going to require a lot of hard work and, a lot of time. as my publisher said, uh, 
you have to uh, publish 50 books to make $60,000 a year. And I'm like, well, time to get my nose to the grindstone. <laughs> 50 books a year? Well, you know, that's an exaggeration, but he's saying that uh, consistently forever. Some books will sell more than others. I was very lucky with my uh, first book series, The Super Villainy Saga, which is uh, coming out with its uh, fifth book soon. Uh, it sold like gangbusters, and uh, my indie publisher, uh, Amber Cove, at the time, uh, was completely blown away by the numbers because I had hit that just little sweet spot of being uh, uh, writing a superhero book that was comedic short enough to uh, be read in an afternoon and uh had a really good cover uh, right at the time of when uh, marvel the marvel cinematic universe was exploding and people were like oh well there's like 10 of these superhero books that i can find uh why don't i just buy this one and you know i uh, that got that got me in uh, two more years of uh, being able to write for free <laughs> well that's awesome so you pretty much went out of the gate uh as a full-time writer i'm guessing uh, no, actually, no? I, uh, uh, it was kind of uh, an interesting story there, but uh, I, the Super Villainy Saga was probably released the third year of my writing career because I didn't know anything about uh, getting into this, and I didn't uh, go to my fellow writers to uh, give me a kind of idea of what to expect, so I signed up uh, for a, a publisher that seemed respectable enough. Uh, I submitted my book, and they said, oh, we'll get back to you in six months. Hmm. And I thought, well, I suppose that's standard, yeah. which, by the way, no, it's not, especially not in Indies. Maybe ask for a few weeks uh, to uh, to look at a sample. Yeah, that's a and, long time. Yeah, so uh, they did that. They rejected the book. Then they said, oh, submit us something else. So I did another six months. Then they said they're going to publish it. And then uh, they, they they waited a year, and then the company went bankrupt. <laughs> Hey, you know, though, I've heard that story time and time again. Uh, it's happened to Cameron Hurley uh, with, with her first three books, and uh, Nightshade, I believe, is who uh, bought it from her. And uh, it, it's happened to so many people. But w as far as your superhero books, uh, it, was that the point where you said, okay, I think I can now just focus on this and do this full time? Well, it's the thing about the super uh, villain books was I, I wrote those as a lark, ironically enough. Uh, the books I had written uh, for the uh, publisher that went bankrupt that were supposed to be my big intro, my big epic series that would make me uh, super famous and rich and had taken all of my time. I wrote this super villainy books just because I had an itch uh, to scratch in my brain of something really, really funny. So I wrote them just for fun. And, of course, uh, they outsold everything else I've uh, written ten times over. <laughs> Do you notice, since, since you have a, a bunch of books under your belt, that a lot of the times that the ones – obviously, you care about all of your books, but the ones that you may put your heart more into, even though it may not be, quote-unquote, as fun as the other ones, do you find that people actually just go for the ones that are kind of like, well, I'm just writing this for fun and to hell with it? Uh, I think uh, that you never know what's going to be a success uh, with your uh, writing, and uh, it's why you have to focus your s on writing for yourself more than anything, uh, rather than trying to, again, as I mentioned earlier, chasing trends. I mean, I know a guy who uh, deliberately wrote in a genre he hated uh, repeatedly because he believed it would be more profitable in the long run. I'm like, well, then why don't you just get a 9-to-5 job? You're kind of missing the whole point. <laughs> exactly. You know, I noticed that uh, I tried to write an optimistic short story because I heard this one publisher, this magazine, wanted more optimistic uh, stories. And 
it sucked. Because <laughs> that's not my thing. I mean, I could throw optimism in there, so I can totally understand that. Um, but I agree with you. You, you have to write what would you love and instead of chasing trends and things like that but that's awesome uh you also uh are an editor uh you have yeah. an anthology that uh you've edited or, or editing i forget if uh, you mentioned if you're still in the process but it's called the blackest nights anthology the, yeah the blackest nights anthology is uh, published by crossroad press which is a uh mid-tier uh publisher and it was founded by people who uh, mainstream authors uh, like uh, David Yaw Wilson, and who was the president of the Horror Writers Association at one point, and has written for things like Star Trek and uh, Stargate SG One. Okay. And, well, yeah, uh, he he made it because he uh, was felt like he wasn't getting his uh, good due from the books he wanted, and uh, he's attracted many other uh, good authors. And ironically enough, it was the super villainy saga, of course, that attracted uh, him to invite me to join his press, rather than uh, my big epic series that I think like 10 people have bought. <laughs> okay, but uh, actually, to answer your previous question before I get into Blackest Nights, uh, when was the point that I decided, oh, I can do this full-time, quit my day job? Yeah. Well, uh, that uh, that happened gradually, and you know, I I wanted to make a little cushion before that <laughs> right. that uh, happened. I mean, uh, even if my other series weren't as amazingly successful, the thing about that was once you uh, put them out there. Nowadays, uh, books never really go out of print because uh, the market has changed from the tradition from the bookstore brick and mortar kind of uh, sales, and you know, even if uh, sales are not quite good now they could be they can improve in the future or they can just be a steady trickle income that you know if you have a lot of uh trickles is a rainstorm right so so i i after the super villainy saga i wrote some other books uh cthulhu armageddon which is a post-apocalyptic uh, horror novel set in hp lovecraft's universe mm -hmm. and uh and i wrote uh, straight out of fact in which i'm going to talk about uh, here and these things all uh, contributed to eventually making the money good enough for me to say okay i can do this full time but it was a hard decision and one that uh i i was uh, patient and uh cautious about doing kind of like indiana jones entering a new tomb <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the payoff is so so awesome it's just that that uh it's scary that just jumping off that cliff kind of thing and building oh, yeah. your parachute on the way down uh but it's it's obviously worked for you uh what did you do before uh i worked in academia uh just one of those cogs behind the machines of the professors at a college oh yeah you that was the right move if you <laughs> yeah good good move okay well uh yeah let's jump back into talking about blackest nights uh, oh, yeah. what this is something that you've edited uh for crossroads press you said Yes. Uh, basically, Crossroad Press uh, had never done an anthology before, uh, but I uh, came up with them an idea. What if uh, we could do a story about fallen heroes and uh, people who were once great warriors for good but have turned due to some tragic flaw in their personality to become bad guys? And I... I just couldn't let go of that, and I met a lot of wonderful indie authors uh, in my time uh, trying to get myself out there. And the thing about uh, that is there's a whole wonderful community that if you try and go against, you will never get anywhere. But if you work with, you can uh, broaden your fan base because it turns out you're not actually competitors. People who buy one book can buy another. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, 
Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I know we're talking about Blackest Nights, but uh, you talk about collaboration, and you actually write, uh, you've written two books uh, that I can think of, uh, Lucifer's Star and Lucifer's Nebula with another author. Michael Suckus is actually uh, the co-author of the I Was a Teenage Were-Deer novels, uh, which are also called the Bright Falls Mysteries, officially. And uh, he's a great guy. Uh, We've known each other for literally decades, and uh, he was in my uh, Vampire the Masquerade group. (laughs) Um, yeah, the, and uh, he was an amateur author too. And uh, but the thing is, he was actually really, really good. And uh, when I uh, gave it a try, he decided to do it as well. And we decided, why not try to, to create a couple of novels together? And it's that kind of experience that drew me that, to invite and also open up submissions to a very select few of the indie authors I really, really enjoyed the work of. And everyone had an idea for a fallen hero or circumstance that uh, broke a person's soul. And I got oh dozens of submissions and I got to pick through the best ones and decide which ones I liked and uh, which ones I liked more. Was this your and first time? And the result was Blackest Nights. Was this your first time editing? Yes, there was a lo- oh yes, it was a collect collaborating a book together and uh, putting my own stories in there, which you know is one of the benefits of being an editor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. Yes. Well, uh, it was my first time, and I you know I made some mistakes there, and I was. Uh, and I, I hate telling people no, but I had to do that a lot. And uh, it uh, was a lear- definitely a learning experience. I'm going to definitely try it again. Uh, but so far, the reception has been good to Blackest Nights. Uh, people enjoy it. And I got a uh, submission by uh, David O'Neill Wilson, who uh, had a short story about the same sort of subject. So oh, cool. it's uh, all working out. That's awesome. Uh, would you say the toughest part of editing that anthology was turning people down? Uh, I think that definitely was uh, something that uh, I was not particularly built for, especially because when people get turned down, they usually ask, so what was wrong with the story? And, you know, you have to figure out a way to say it wasn't very good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I read Slush for uh, Dark Recesses magazine back in the day before I uh, got got into novels and and focusing on my writing. And it was was like three levels. Obviously, the ones that you're like, I love this story. And yes, I'm going to suggest this to be bought. The ones that uh, you really liked better than others, but you, you just knew that they wouldn't like it. And then the ones that were you're like, this sucks, and you didn't feel bad about it at all. But oh, <laughs> sending oh, yeah. that, that rejection letter. Um, oh, well, before I continue on, uh, since I, there's going to be obviously people who want to be writers themselves in this, the best uh, thing you can get is someone uh, who is willing to tell you your story is absolutely terrible when you first start writing and why, rather right. than friends or families like, oh my God, you're the next uh, whoever. And uh, because. My career completely stalled as a writer well well when I was a poor college student because everyone was telling me what grand stuff was, and then whenever I submitted it, I was getting rejected. I was like, what's wrong with it? And then finally someone said, like, this is long, boring, kind of sexist in places, and I'm like, what? Right. Yeah, and I, I was a horny college student. I got better. <laughs> <laughs> that always drags people down, man. I understand that. Uh, well, cool. So is Blackest Nights available now? Oh, yes. It's available in uh, both uh, ebook and a physical uh, format, and uh, I suggest people check it out. Absolutely. And uh, the, the other book I want to talk to you about is awesome title, by the way, as well as uh, its sister book, uh, 
the one we're talking about is straight out of Fangton. And uh, yes. the other book is I Was a Teenage Weird Deer. So yes. two awesome titles. What can you tell us about those? Well, uh, one thing I got to tell you is I uh, met my wife a while on a forum for the Anita Blake series, which was one of the early uh, urban fantasy novels before that even was a title as a genre. Right. And, you know, that, that series went in a weird direction. I don't think we have time to get into it. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Uh, but I always have loved uh, the idea of uh, the secret world of monsters and uh, vampires and uh, creatures behind uh, uh, the veil of the world. But I, I ran into two uh, specific problems uh, with uh, my love of that genre. And the first being that vampires, as we know, have kind of hit a serious uh, villain decay uh, for being terrifying. Yes. I mean, you know, even... E Anne Rice got the uh, ball rolling there, but you know there were at least hardcore killers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, not you know. not the goofy. Well, I'm yeah, bad I mean, just because I'm here, kind of thing. I, I mean, the stop may wear a poofy shirt, but if you insult him, he'll knock your head off. Right. <laughs> There's still that level of danger and and and. Oh evil. yes, and menace, and uh, to that level there, and very often we have stories that not only that. It's not even so much using them as romantic interests uh, there, but uh, when the vampire is just uh, treated as something awesome to be, like having superpowers and none of the drawbacks, like oh, I just drink animal blood, or I have a, or I have uh, no uh, weaknesses whatsoever, like in the, the uh, books, and I'm like, that you're just taking everything cool about being a vampire by uh, rubbing off all the dark parts. Yeah. And uh, so I was thinking, like, I should do a vampire novel where it's kind of h horrible. And uh, two, I ran into the problem is I am inca pathologically incapable of writing a completely serious story. I am too. I <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I, I my two most serious my most serious book, the post-apocalypse uh, Cthulhu Armageddon, I thought was a dark, gritty, ter uh, terrible story about survival and like a pretty much fallout uh, with a. Uh, with giant monsters and then my editor says like said back is like this is the funniest thing i've read all year oh yeah i've <laughs> i mean I, you know it was because uh, i just apparently put all this witty banter and uh into this uh, whole book that i completely missed <laughs> i guess it's the thing that you're you're writing all this dark stuff and something in you says i need to put at least a little bit of humor here to balance it uh and then it comes out like that. Uh, the, the same thing happened for, for me with the uh, Daughters of Forgotten Light. Is the I, people are like the, there's there's a lot more behind the lighthearted writing. I said lighthearted writing, and but then they talk about how violent it is. So I can I can totally understand that. Um, but but like I discussed with other authors, once it's out there, it's the reader's decision on on how they perceive it. Oh, it's as well. Josh Whedon made it work for him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love Cabin yeah. in the Woods. Oh, yes, and there's many wonderful uh, horror comedy uh, kind of uh, th things there. Well, in the end, I decided uh, that I would just write the book as how I wanted, which was uh, for Straight Outta Fankton, I thought, what is the kind of uh, vampire that we haven't read much about? It? And I was thinking like – and then the, this character uh, appeared uh, from my head fully formed like Athena, and it was like – that was Peter Stone who is a poor black vampire who works the counter like in Clerks. <laughs> the graveyard shift so to speak yeah yeah peter peter uh was turned into a vampire he's all in this world where they've uh, revealed themselves and uh rebuilt detroit as their kind of vampire mecca and he's uh he expected you know all the riches and sex appeal to come with it and 
well, no, he just has to uh, buy blood now or uh, get it uh, where he can and uh, deals with the same problems as the rest of us. That's an awesome idea. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so th- th- this and I Was a Teenage Weirdeer is part of what you're calling the United States of Monsters. Yes, I... Uh, I, after I finished Straight Outta Fankton, which is a an adventure from the perspective of uh, the 99% of vampires, so to speak, the ones who aren't the sexy billionaires. Right. And uh, I was thinking, like, I really enjoyed writing that. That was quite entertaining, and I got some uh, good response to that. And then I thought, well, I now need to do the werewolf book, but werewolves are completely overdone. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in, inherently less... Uh, well, vampires, you can do almost anything with them there, but the role of the werewolf is more nebulous. And then I thought, you know, it would be funny if uh, you, uh, if uh, the protagonist was the least threatening but still plausible as some kind of shape-changer uh, creature you could be. Right. <laughs> so, so I can't – and uh, at that point I realized, well, clearly I have to uh, – I have to uh, go with this idea, and I came up with the idea of shifters having a whole community of uh, various kinds of shape changers based on what breed of animal they are. And the were deer, uh, I uh, was developing that idea when I realized what what was the meanest thing I could do. Uh, their her parents could do to the protagonist. And I was like, they will obviously name her Jane Doe. <laughs> Uh, see, I like that kind of stuff. Some people might not; they think it's too, oh yes, too on the nose. But I, I love that stuff, and it, yes. the titles too are awesome. Um, oh yeah, and I could see you taking this and uh, making it, which I guess is your your plan, making it a series. Maybe I mean you can do uh, oh, yeah. all the universal monster types, uh, or, or make up your own too, even if you want. Well, uh, the sequel to "I Was a Teenage Were Deer" is out. That's an American Were Deer in Michigan. Hey. <laughs> I have I have a third one planned called Camp Deerwood, which is a parody of slasher movies. Okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's where Jane Doe uh, is acting in a uh, very low budget film of being filmed in their uh, territory when uh, some unfortunate things are attracted uh, by uh, the local spookiness. Cool. Now you mentioned Michigan and Detroit. Is that where you you're at? Where you're located? Uh, no, actually, there. I uh, visited uh, Detroit uh, with some friends there, and it's a very atmospheric city. And I was just thinking, uh, and I am from a part of the Rust uh, Belt there, and uh, it's the kind of place you, uh, if you are walking along at night, uh, you uh, will imagine that there could be vampires living there. Nice. Yes, and the thing about uh, I Was a Teenage Were Deer and uh, Straya Fankton is it's a contrast of the two environments of the vampire and uh, the shifter with. Uh, uh, new Detroit uh, being uh, being built right next to old Detroit. Uh, the uh, greedy, dark urban environments where a vampire is likely to thrive and uh, where deer is being set in this tiny Twin Peaks town of uh, Bright Falls, which is full of uh, haunting spooky forests, uh, close-knit families full of secrets. And, you know, uh, it's interesting to see because the the two places are actually like 30 miles away because there are an endless numbers of forests in Michigan and you know, and incredibly uh, uh, impressive cities. You know, you bring up a really good point as far as like monsters and lore and and, and especially in urban fantasy and horror is that uh, vampires are really uh, urban monsters uh, where were creatures and shifters uh, would do well in more rural 
uh, communities. That and, and I think that was even in Vampire the Masquerade, where it's like this, vampires thrive in the city or something like that. Yes, I uh, I told. Uh, Mark Ryan Hagen, who created Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse about my book. So uh, the fact I was a gamer for about 20 years on those two things in no way, shape, or form influenced my books. Honest. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever play the Bloodlines game? Uh, Yes, I did, actually. It's uh, one of my all-time favorites. I mean, the game was uh, half-completed when it was released and uh, kind of uh, fizzles towards the end there. But uh, there's a reason fans are still uh, editing and modding it and waiting for someone somewhere to make a sequel. Yeah, I've I've done it modded and and things like that. But the, the only thing that pissed me off about that game is, like you said, it was unfinished. Because after I defeated the werewolf out in the... uh, outside the city and then i leave it just it just blanks out i said what so i don't know if it's something wrong with my my copy or if that that they never finished it uh, well there is there is an ending there but it's pretty much uh, where the first three-fourths of the game are uh you uh running around uh, dealing with the incredibly eccentric uh, wildlife of los angeles and the people and uh and the massive number of wonderful characters, and the final uh, fourth of the game is just you shooting things until the prince dies. <laughs> okay, then I'm good. <laughs> uh, that ghost level was my favorite, by the way. The, oh, the yes. haunted house—that was the best. I think that actually won an award, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, I I, I love the care uh, the characters in that one. Uh, the Jeanette Vorman, the and her twin sister in her head, and j- yeah. Just the, and you know just oh wait spoiler for a 20 year old game <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding I, I, i'm sure there'll be somebody out there going what you just ruined it for me yes um, uh. <laughs> so do you consider yourself a pulp writer uh i think pulp is something that uh you can have the sensibilities of but it's a very i believe some genres are time so to speak uh, and they're uh, products of their era uh pulp is very specifically the th- the time of the pulp magazine and these specific people and while you can draw from hp lovecraft as obviously i did uh for cthulhu armageddon or robert e howard uh you uh you really are just talking what i think of uh the kind of genre uh splash dan down blender that uh the the pulp writers created because they threw together all the things they love science fiction fantasy history and uh just general weirdness and created something new i i think uh that is something we as a culture have created uh and uh pop culture as we know it is a shared language uh that transcends uh just about any kind of barrier at least if you've all seen star wars right that's true uh and and that's something i find too is that and I'm trying to try to figure out, and I don't know why, but I'm trying to figure out the 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 separation between things that are quote unquote more literary in science fiction and fantasy, uh, the language they use, the the pacing, and, and everything else, versus stuff that's completely opposite of you know fast paced explosions. Uh, uh, you know, it, I, and, I think there's a definite uh, thing to be uh, said that, and this is because I have taught literature and I have a degree in it, a master's. Yes, it's it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know, because the people who say, I like more literary science fiction, they'll be right there front row to watch Star Wars and... and, and, it's, and I've, I've written essay. I've written uh, 
whole books uh, that uh, people have uh, dissected about the themes of Star Wars and the religious significance and the, and the huge impact it's had on people growing up there. And I have read incredibly dense uh, supposed idea science fiction that is shallow as, as a kiddie pool because it doesn't touch uh, uh, the emotions. Right. Yeah, right. I I think the divide between literature and genre is something that people like me created to justify the thirty thousand dollars they spent on college. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, very much so. Okay, well uh, we're getting down to wrapping the interview up. Uh, was there anything else that you wanted to discuss before I hit you with my last question? Oh well, uh, I do want to uh, mention. I really, really think uh, that. Uh, if you're going to be an independent author, the thing you got to do for yourself is uh, make friends in the community. Uh, go to the Facebook groups, talk to people, find people who think like you and are actually good at their jobs, and uh, they will give you a hand up. Uh, you know, and you should probably return the favor. Absolutely, and uh, if you're on the Fantasy Faction Facebook page, uh, don't self promote because they'll they'll ban you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, they will? The, oh, man. I actually got warned, and I think I was talking to uh, another guest uh, about this. Peter uh, McLean said, hey, don't self-promote on there, uh, and, and they can tell if you're trying to get around it with a loophole. I said, really? I got banned from a Reddit forum because I was self-promoting. I was promoting someone else. What? What? Oh yes, uh, I was. I just couldn't stop talking about this uh, Kickstarter for, and uh, um, why not? I plug it here. There, uh, Chicago by Night, fifth uh, edition for Vampire the Masquerade. Because hey, uh, nice. again, uh, twenty. Uh, they're finally making a sequel to it after twenty years, and I'm like, because we're all nerds with disposable income, or and some <laughs> nerds without disposable income, but we'll still shell out money for, from a kidney right, being right. sold, and. Uh, I was like, oh, my God, I want to buy this so much. You need to go give this money. <laughs> and they were like, you know, you've, you've posted about this twice. Gone. Wow. <laughs> it's like, clearly you must be a shill. I mean, everyone's – I mean, you know, I understand that there are many Facebook groups and other group, groups where there are no, no one communicates anything because it's just nothing. It's like, hey, buy this book. Right, and I don't like that either. But but I, I, you know, I would think that they could separate that between someone being excited about a book or a tabletop game or whatever. Um, but I guess they can't. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's 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 a middle ground there. You know, d just do a, a one uh one day a week where you can talk about your books if you're an author, uh, and maybe people will actually be interested. Yeah, I think the uh, Grim Dark uh, Facebook page. Uh, has that role where you can self-promote once a week, and I think that's a, that's good. I don't think you know a lot of people would. You I, know. I, th I think I found some really uh, fantastic books uh, by uh, from the authors, Rob J. Hayes, uh, uh, "Where Loyalties Lie," yep. Graham Austin King's "Faithless," and you know, and M. L. Spencer's uh, "Ren War Saga," which is one of the books uh, that helped me uh, get together uh, the Blackest Nights anthology. What has helped you? most in marketing like what, what do you think works the best as far as p putting your books out there 
the this is going to be a, a question a answer that just opens up more questions and the thing you got to do is uh, build a fan base because if you want to sell uh, books uh, you just obviously need people that know who you are enough to want to buy them because if you uh, put it out in the vast sea of uh, Amazon titles no one's ever going to find it it's just another drop in the ocean right Definitely. And to that, you need to interact with your fans, uh, join groups, and it'll build small, but uh, but spread by word of mouth. And if you're uh, lucky, it will be uh, the case. It requires reviews and uh, time and patience. You bring up something I was actually thinking about today, and I think about it a, wa- a lot because I try to be the type of author that that interacts with with readers um, because th- that gives that extra level uh, that especially people from a different age never had other than fan letters and things like that but i do not understand authors who do not respond to people even just complimenting their books or asking them questions uh it's like some and it's usually authors that are doing a lot better um than most and it's like this weird uh pedestal that they've placed themselves on to where they feel well, I don't have to talk to these people, and I just cannot stand that because without the readership, they they will not survive. Well, you know, there's a as much as I agree with the sentiment in uh, general. There's also the dark side of uh, fandom, so to speak. I mean, some authors do let it go to their head, and they think uh, uh, they are the uh, next uh, god of literature, and oh my goodness, uh, how dare you uh, come near me? But um, very often, there's also the fans who the uh, creeper think, fans, yeah. Well, not just the creeper fans, also the. The what I call the uh, feral wolf fans, which are the fans that ostensibly are your fans, but they have nothing but uh, criticism uh, and uh, outright hate <laughs> if you don't go the way, the way they know, want. Pro- yeah, you approach them thinking they're all friendly, then they start barking. <laughs> the same, yeah, the same people who uh, give George R. R. Martin a bunch of crap for uh, oh yeah finishing like, his his last know, book. Well, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's bad that, you know, he uh, wrote these four books and just doesn't seem to be able to cl- seal the deal. But uh, you got to wonder uh, from his perspective what he thinks when someone's fan says, like, well, since you're obviously going to die before you finish it, uh, who are you going to appoint <laughs> your, <laughs> in your place? Yeah, who's going to be your Sanderson to to your Robert Jordan? Yes, I'm, and, you know, I, I doubly wonder what Martin thinks, when, because they will quote that. Uh, right to his face uh, when uh, he knew San- he knew uh, Jordan personally. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder yeah. if he might just not if he hasn't already just get to a point where he's like, you know what? Screw all y'all. I'm not, I'm not going to finish this book, and I'm not going to appoint anybody to uh, to write it uh, for me. I I I think it uh, boils down to the uh, also the fact us. Uh, uh, if you uh, have been immersed in a world like that for so long, you need to come up for air and uh, to uh, get your mind back on that. And he just hasn't because uh, there's the show, the fandom, everything. Yeah, they won't let him. Yeah, uh, but he is doing the the wild cards books with a bunch of other authors and things like that. So that that's, oh, yeah. I saw him at WorldCon. I should have I should have said hello, but all I did was wave at him. You know, because I was already in a conversation, and I'm still kicking myself. I should have went up to him and say, "Hey, what's up?" Because he was just walking around; nobody was even talking to him. So, oh uh, yeah, it was, it, it, well, authors are people too, and the best uh, way to deal with them is just as other uh, people. One of the uh, funniest uh, things is where I was uh, chatting with a uh, a, a longtime uh, Facebook friend uh, that I eventually found out. Uh, 
I'd known he was a fantasy author, uh, but it, it, it only uh, took until he uh, gave me his uh, real name. I found out that he was Richard Knack, who I'd grown up reading the books of at 14. <laughs> Uh, that happened to me with uh, Marie Brennan, uh, who wrote the uh, Lady Trent books, uh, The Dragons. Uh, what's the name of them? But I, I, was, I was sitting there talking to her and her husband, and then I didn't realize it was her until 10 minutes in. And I was oh, like, yeah. well, oh, you're the Marie Brennan. I mean, that's not her. her <laughs> that's her, that's a pseudonym. Uh, and my, my meeting with John Scalzi was different just because. I, I went to this hotel. It was like midnight. I just got done visiting a friend in San Francisco, and uh, I was going to meet some author friends who were at the bar there at this hotel that I wasn't staying at. I was staying at another one. And I walk in. They're not there. But holy shit, there's John Scalzi sitting there talking with someone. I said, you know, I'm probably not going to ever get to talk to him uh, the rest of this weekend, so screw it. So I just went up and I said, hey, shook his hand. I said, I'll let you get back to your to your conversation. Um but, but at least I got to shake his hand and stuff, so that's oh, cool. Yeah. All right, last question to wrap up the interview, uh, and I ask this of all my guests, but what is a piece of advice that you wish you knew when you first started out writing? Uh, one, uh, that it is there is no quick path to success. Two, uh, always verify your publishers are not uh, two guys in a basement with a copier. <laughs> <laughs> Three that the guys will not take your money and run. Uh, I I could go go on in there. I, I keep seeing uh, that infomercial of uh, we'll publish your books and put them in a store for you. Yes, just it's like, you know, money. You can't buy uh you can't buy success as an author if you're terrible, right? Uh, or period, actually, or and, copyright a, a word. Yes, uh, and also uh, man manager a uh, pace here. Uh, you very probably will not end up being the next Jay Rowling unless somehow you get a, a movie made out of you, and uh, that de- depends very much on factors outside of your hands. Uh, so instead, don't focus on mega success there, but uh, create something uh, you, you love, and uh, success will find you. That's awesome or advice. Won't. Or it won't. But, <laughs> but at least it was fun. It was just trying. Yes. Do it and... Or, and if you succeed, awesome. And if you don't, well, at least you gave it a shot. I mean, I hate to add the last part there, but I felt <laughs> <laughs> well. It's realistic, I guess. Uh, Charles, thanks so much for coming on Cosmic Dragon. It's been a blast. Uh, everybody, go out and get his books that we've been discussing. There's plenty of them. Trust me, uh, available everywhere. I Where believe, dear, yeah. Where dear Fangton. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but especially <laughs> the the two books in the United States of Monsters. Uh, so that's straight out of Fangton, and I was a teenage weird deer. So Charles, what's and Blackest Nights? The anthology. <laughs> I told you, guys, the, the, he's got a lot of books, and uh, okay. they're they're all worth uh, checking <laughs> Thank out. You very much. Hey, we loved having you. <laughs>